I'm actually lucky I'm still here because last month I managed to speak on the mark of Christ and I somehow slipped in the old word of tattoo in the midst of it, wasn't recorded, Tark didn't hear it and so I'm back. So you guys are a lucky bunch of people. But I'd like to, I'd actually, yeah, but it was actually very good that afterwards, don't worry, I was reminded by a lot of people about the verse in Leviticus. So tattoo or no tattoo was not the point. The point was that we as Christians should be marked by Christ, that we we have a calling on our lives from the old to the new, that our lives should look different now that we walk with Jesus. And it was just a real challenge about what does our lifestyle look like? What do we look like now that we walk with Christ and in the things of Him and the old and the new and this whole idea of wake up, O sleeper, arise from the dead and allow Christ to shine on you. And it was just this message that I was just really challenged with and I hope that you could have gone away and just just been encouraged to just make sure our life stands out for those that are out in the community, community can see something different in us. And this morning, I kind of wanted to, to follow on from that, but talk about us as a church. That I believe that the community should see something that they want within this place, within this church, that we should have the mark of Jesus on us as a family and as a church this morning. So we're just gonna we're gonna pray and we'll just get into it. Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you, you are good. We thank you for what you have done in our lives and where you have brought us. And this morning I want to just just ask that you would just have your hand upon what's spoken. That it would be of you, God, that you would touch us, that you would speak to us by your spirit. Um, that you would challenge us in ways that we need to be challenged with, Lord, and you would bless us in ways that we need to be blessed with, Lord. And I just pray for every person in this place that they all know that you are God and here this morning. And above all else, God, just help us and guide us to be all that you've created us to be this morning, Lord, in your awesome name. We just ask, have your way and bless this service. And everyone said, Amen. Who here loved um, Tark's message last week? Yeah? Man, there was, there was a big crowd here last week. It was huge. Not as many people here this morning. Um, but you guys probably already knew that I was supposed to speak last week. That's why it was so big. And I, it's actually true, though. I was supposed to speak last week, but I said, oh, no, something popped up, and I had, to, I had to move it to this week. So everyone turned up thinking I was speaking last week. But... Um, but Tark did a good job anyway. He filled in, did all right. But he, he spoke on this real challenging message about, about the roar of our lives, that we shouldn't be caged and within the four walls of the church, but that we are called to go forward, to go out to this community and just make a real difference and roar with the gospel in our lives. And the Great Commission, and he talked about the early church and everything like that, and it was, a, it was an awesome message. And I thought this morning, it would be cool if we just kind of dove into that a little bit more, and that we could just look at the early church, we could look at the Great Commission, and just get some points for us as a church and how we will fulfill what God has placed on us. So we're going to start Matthew twenty-eight nineteen to 20, if you guys have got your Bibles here, or you just look at the screen, either way. But it says here in 18 to 20 in Matthew, Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me 
to commission you, every one of you. Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, then instructing them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I will be with you as you do this, day after day, right up to the end of the age. This is massive calling on our lives. The great commission that Jesus has placed is for every one of us. To go out to train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life. Obey what I command and teach others to also obey what I command. And at the end he says, but know that I am with you as you do this. You see, if we are going to go out and fulfill this great commission and be all that Christ has called us to be outside these four walls, we need to get the culture right in here. There's a massive part to play as a church and as a family. If we're going to do all that we're called to do, there's a massive part of church that comes into that. And it's this culture of cheer that we need behind the scenes in this place. See, if you look at the the early church, I love the, the early church in Acts, and it's this picture of this church that was just on fire, and they were unstoppable in the things of God. And you see in First Acts, uh, they're in this upper room, and the Holy Spirit just falls on them, and all this stuff's going on, and people are just going, yeah, this is amazing. And then you come to Second Acts, and you see them that they um, start speaking in different languages, and all this crazy stuff's still going on. And it says that thousands of people were added to the church. And people ended up getting so behind what was going on that they were willing to sell all that they had and give it to the church. And they were just going and doing whatever they could to support the mission of the church. The church was their number one goal. And they were just giving everything they could and doing whatever they could. And it was this idea of this unstoppable church that was just going and going. People were leaving and going out and preaching the gospel. People were getting persecuted wherever they went as they preached the gospel, but people kept going because they had the support of the church and their family behind them. And it was this picture of a beautiful, beautiful church. And I was thinking about it, and it's like, man, that was a church on fire. And things were happening, thousands were being added. And then I think about church today, and I think about my own attitude sometimes too. And I was thinking, man, I hear that they might be changing the time of the morning service and, and suddenly everyone's ears prick up like, oh, well, I won't be coming if they change it from 10 o'clock. Or there's this thing sometimes we hear, oh, what's this two praise songs? Man, I'm more into worship. I wanted three worship songs, one praise song. And we start to kind of think in our head like, oh, is this really what I'm behind? But it's just this challenge and this thought that there's more to church than just ourselves and our own desires. The early church was so focused on the Great Commission. They were so focused on the calling that God had placed on their lives that sometimes some of these smaller things would be insignificant and their purpose 
was so for the lost that that was their focus above all else. You see, one of the greatest focuses of the, of the church and the early church was unity amongst the people. In Acts 2, verse 44 to 47, I want to just pull three. Are you guys all right? You guys are quiet this morning. Man. If I, if I fall asleep, just wake me up with some noise or something. It's pretty quiet out there. We'll take a breather. Deep breaths. I want to hear some. Okay, there's some people out there. It's good. It's good. It's all right to be in church this morning. I'll get it finished quick or something so we can go outside or something. Man. You, oh, you're listening. Good. Good. Okay, thank you. I'm used to youth, eh? No one listens. So it's good. All right. Three things now that we're all here and we're listening. Okay, verse 44, it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily who were being saved. The first thing that I want to pull out of there is that it says that all the believers were together and had everything in common. Well, let's be, let's be honest, though, this morning, and I think you guys can figure out that we're all different. We all see things differently. We do life differently. We've got different personalities. Like, I even notice when I'm speaking or someone's speaking, there's a, there's a group of people here that'll be like, yeah. And whatever you say, they're just like behind. They're like, yeah, that was awesome. And then there's the other people that just sit there and go, I'm thinking about what he just said, and I'm just going to work out whether that is correct. But the others are just like, whatever you say, yeah, this is awesome. And then you've got your thinkers. And so if I ever hear a grunt from the church, like, then that means I've, something that I have said has agreed with the thinkers. Okay, they, they, are, they are agreeing with it. They're like, it might come like five minutes after I've said something, but they're like, mm. and I'm like, oh, they must have processed that thought. But you realize that we're, we're different. We work differently. We have different way of patterning things. We, some of us will be thinkers. Some of us will just be, yeah, whatever's going on, I'm for it. I'm with this. And it's just this different personality. And I want to just read a letter that was written to Isaac. Okay, and it's about modern-day worship, and it's seven reasons why this person does not agree with worship or modern-day worship. And this is what he says. He says, hey, it's too new. It's too new for us. Often worldly and often blasphemous. Not as pleasant as the more established style. There's too many songs in modern day worship that we can't actually learn the words to them all. There's too much emphasis on the instrumental music rather than the godly lyrics. 
The new music creates disturbances, and it's a money-making scene. I don't know, sometimes I may have thought some of these thoughts, but this was written to Isaac Watts. Sorry, Isaac, wasn't you. People were thinking it was Isaac, eh? But it was written to Isaac Watts in 1723. You guys are thinking that about our worship. Were you guys thinking about our worship right now? Mate, how rude. This. 1723. Isaac Watts had written some songs that you may know. When I surveyed the wonders of the cross and joy to the world. See, this letter was written about those songs. It's pretty crazy, but it's legit. It's, it's okay. But the thing is, we're going to see things differently, and, and that's okay, and that's part of who we are and our personalities. But when it says there all the believers were together and had everything in common, it's this beautiful picture of the church and the believers going, hold on. We're here to see God's kingdom come. We're here to see people saved. We're here to cheer for each other, to go out and preach the gospel, to do this great commission that we have been given. Therefore, we will forget sometimes about the other things, and we're going to go in one heart together for the thing that God has placed on our lives. You see, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They weren't the same, but they had one heart and passion to see God's kingdom come on earth. See, Acts 4, 32, verse 37, of 32 to 37, says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerful at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and was distributed to anyone who had a need. I'm not telling you guys to go sell up stuff. But it was this idea and this picture that they were behind everyone in the church, that they wanted everyone to have a chance. And so therefore they would sell what they had sometimes to provide for the family of Christ, for the church, because they thought it would most benefit the people around them to be able to do the calling that God had on their lives. You see, it was this culture of cheer. We're behind you. Not just myself, it's not all about my race, but it's about the race of the family of the church. What can we do to support you? See, as a family, we're a team, and team always came first. It's together we proclaim the excellence of our Jesus Christ, and the world needs to see unity within the church a reflection of the core love of our Jesus Christ. A true example of family should begin here. The second thing 
that popped up in that verse is, says, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The church is an interesting thought. And I know there's a lot of, lot of chit-chat about church and how it should look. And I always, I always picture, what would Jesus' church look like? And, and, and if you were to see Jesus come back on the streets and you were to visit him and say to him, hey, where's your church? I don't think Christ would point to a specific building. But Jesus would say, it's my believers. It's my followers throughout New Zealand, throughout this nation, that are going for the things of me. It's this idea that it's not just a building, but the church is the people that are living outside these four walls. It's about a family doing life together. We, we have fellowship for three minutes or whatever on a Sunday morning, but the idea of church was not a fellowship of three minutes. It was an idea of people doing life together, supporting each other outside these walls. You see, it's more than three minutes. It's a culture of how can I serve you? How can I do life with you? Come to my house. Be a part of what we're together and what we're doing. It's sharing each other's life with each other. I, um, I love the fact that the other day we were shifting. And I'm, I'm one of those people that hate to burden people with stuff. I like to just do it on my own. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just shift on my own. I had one other young guy with me. I was like, I oh, will do it. It'd be easy. And um, anyway, I realized it was not easy. But luckily, we had some family from this church that were just up the road, and they popped in to, to kind of just give us a hand with one thing. And I think they realized that we were in over our heads. And they stayed with us for the whole day. They ended up getting their trailer, and they ended up just helping us shift for the whole day. And I was like, it wasn't expected for them to be there at all for the day. But I just love the fact that these people were behind us and cheering for us, and they were willing to give up what they had and their full weekend to come and serve us and help us shift. And I was like, man, that's family. I, I, I didn't want to ask anyone because I felt I didn't want to put pressure on people to help me. I can just sort it up myself. But it was beautiful to see someone without really being asked to turn up and just be like, hey, we're going we're gonna to help you. We're supporting what you're about and what you're doing. You see, that is the picture of family not just here on a Sunday. You see, love at the center, a selfless community, a heart for the needs of each other. The cool thing is about the early church is that the world wanted what they had. The second thing in the Great Commission that kind of pops up from time to time in church as it says, obey what I command and teach others. This can sometimes be a little bit of a stumbling block for us as a church. And we've got this calling to teach others and to help others to become more like Christ. And I remember my attitude has changed over time. And as a young, as a young man, I was involved in a, in a cricket team. And I remember we had this young guy who was striving to be a part of our team. And he finally got this opportunity to, to play in our team. And he turned up to practice. And I remember the culture back then was a little bit, 
we've got it sorted. We've done the hard yards. We're here, you know. We've put the time in. And anyway, this guy turned up to our training before the Saturday. And, of course, being young and a bit, whatever, big-headed or whatever, we decided, let's, let's test this guy out. Let's see what he's really made of. And he came in, and we put him into the nets, and we, we started dropping some short-pitch balls at him. Started going for the head, going for the body. And this poor guy was, had a weakness in his batting. And he couldn't handle the short pitch ball. And we picked that up straight away. And being the nice guys that we were, we kept bowling short pitch balls at him. And we just demolished him to the fact that in the end, this guy ended up having to walk out of the nets and be pulled out by the coach and pulled aside and taken out. And he got disqualified. He didn't play that Saturday because we exposed a weakness in his, in his cricket. And we cancelled him out for that. And I look back now as I've kind of got a little bit older and not around that scene so much, and I'm like, man, what a douche I was. What an absolute idiot I was to treat that guy that way. You see, yeah, he had a weakness, but how simple could it have been for me to go to him and say, hey, first ball I bowl, notice he can't handle short pitch ball. Go up to him and say, look, mate, I, I notice that you really struggle in this area. Can I just give you a tip? Maybe just do this. Simple. It's all you have to do. It's not your greatest asset is that shot. So just pull out. Pull away from it. You'll be fine. And I could have helped that guy to succeed and be and do what he was called to do instead of disqualifying. You see, it's this culture of cheer and not tear. You see, this needs to be a place where we can come on our weaknesses. That you can come when you're struggling with stuff in your life. That you may have weaknesses, but you can feel like you can come and bring your weaknesses to church and not feel like you will be judged, but feel like people are going to cheer for you and go, what can I do to help and serve you to be all that you were created to be? Not like, oh, hold on. You've got some issues there. That's not good. But a church that remembers that we were first given grace, that we are on a journey ourselves and we've come a long way and therefore we should be in the same grace boat as those and give them the comfort and the cheer that they need to get to the next level that they want to go with God. See, Paul in Galatians 6 gives an awesome illustration of, of how we should treat each other. It says, brothers and sisters, and how we should restore the family. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. This is the culture that Christ has placed on our church. See, one of the greatest heroes of the early church was Joses. The apostles nicknamed him Barnabas. We hear a lot about Paul in the early church. We don't so much 
hear about Barnabas. But the nickname of Barnabas that the disciples gave, it translates to the son of encouragement. See, Barnabas was the son of encouragement or son of exhortation. You see, Barnabas went with Paul in the early times. And he was just a man after the things of God. And they just conquered and they saw so many people saved and added to the church. And after the first trip, Paul and Barnabas began to just plan their next trip together. And in the end, I think it was Barnabas who wanted to bring his cousin along. But Paul wasn't ready for that. And so he ended up saying, no, 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 you can't do that. And so Barnabas being the person he was, he thought, hold on. I'm going to stay behind, and I want to train and encourage my cousin. You see, Barnabas, true to his nickname, took John Mark and spent time discipling him. That ministry was so effective that in years later, Paul specifically asked for John Mark to come to him as he had matured to the point of becoming helpful to Paul in his ministry. You see, it was because of Barnabas and his cheer, and his encouragement that the early church and the ministry of Christ went out and did what it did because it had people of cheer that were willing to see others go and be greater than they would ever be themselves. You see, the sound of cheer, the sound of encouragement, is the center of unity. See, God is a God of cheer. For our lives, for what we are doing, He is a God of cheer for everything that we do. At the end of the Great Commission, He said this. He said, I will be with you as you do this. Day after day after day, right to the end of the age. It's this picture of a father who will cheer for each of us. You see, I was looking at family life and comparing the church and, and my kids and how I, how I treat my kids. And I was thinking about it the other day and I was thinking, man, if my boy, and I'm speaking to myself sometimes here, and my boy, when he's learning to ride the bike, I remember he, he did his first couple of pedals. And I could, could imagine if I acted the way I sometimes do in life. And I stood there and I was like, it's all right. You've got a long way to go, buddy. You know, you've got to sort that out. You did this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, and you'll never be like me or be at the stature of riding a bike that I am unless you can start to do this right. That's not how I acted. I was a complete opposite. I was like a softie. I was like, yeah, you're a legend. I was like, oh, my gosh, you're like, you're like better than me already. And he's like, he's just done two pedals. And instead of just when he falls off, I'm just like, get back up. You're amazing. Do you see how good you were? You did that on your own. And it's just like this power of encouragement that I'm just like, yeah, go, buddy. He's, he's not where he needs to be to ride his bike properly, but I'm still like, I'm just like, you're amazing. Go for it. Come on. 
You see, and I'm just like, every day, like I see him eat his food or my boys, they finish their plate and straight away, I'm just like, I'm like, whoa, you're massive. This is awesome. I'm like, you eat it. You're going to be bigger than me one day. And I keep saying, my boy came to me first thing this morning. He said to me, he's like, me big, eh, dad? I was like, oh, you're massive. I don't look at his faults and go, actually, buddy, you are tiny. You've got so much work to do. But I just say, you're massive. You are going to be bigger than me one day. And I keep reminding them. I say, oh, when you're bigger than dad, what are you going to do? And he's just like, me look after you, dad. I'm like, yeah, you got this right. He reckons he'll pick me up in his bulldozer. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Something like that. But then one of my other boys, is he's, he's quite smart. And I'm just like, man... And he comes out with like, you know, he starts counting to like 50 or whatever you guys are like. That's not smart. But anyway, I'm just like, you're amazing. Like, ah, I'm just like, flip. You're going to be so brainy when you're older. You're going to be like, you're going to be the richest guy I know. And we always talk about it. And he's buying me a house when he's older. It's kind of, I'm just keeping them humble. Just trying to like sort them out. But I'm really for them and encouraging them to succeed. I want them to be greater than I ever was. You see, that's the culture that Christ has put on family, is that we would expect and want those around us to be greater than ourselves. You see, I hope my family and my boys do greater things for God than I ever did. And I will cheer for them, and I will be like, man, you're going to be amazing. God's got a gifting on your heart and on your life. And I'm just going to be like their biggest supporter. But that is the heart of church. That's what family is. This is the heartbeat of what God wants in this place. That we would cheer for each other for the great commission, the things that God has placed on our lives. He never said it's going to be easy. It's hard sometimes to do the calling that God has placed on our lives. I'll be the first testament to that. But that's where we as a family begin to cheer. We encourage. We get behind each other. And we see each other become all that they were called to be in Christ. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness, Completing the race, and now cheer for you. Let us strip off every unnecessary weight, and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us. Let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us. These are men that have gone before us, that have run the race, that have done what they were called to do, and it says, hey, There is a cloud of witnesses. There is a cloud of people that have gone before that will cheer for us. There is this echo from heaven that is cheering for each of us. In our weaknesses and in our days where we feel like, oh man, what am I doing? I'm I'm just struggling with this or this or this. It's just kind of like, hey, hold on. Heaven is cheering for us to get up, to keep going, to be all that we were created to be. And it's that same echo that resounds in the church, that we are each other's 
biggest supporters. See, in John 17, verse 20, if we could have the music team. Who did awesome this morning, didn't they? Yeah, so good. I noticed the, the nice keyboard transitions, Isaac. Sounding good. But John 17, 20, it says this, and Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through the message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus says, may they be brought to complete unity so that the world may know that they sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Our unity not only commends the gospel, but it proclaims it. Our unity within the church is a sign to the world of who Jesus is. Our unity does not just support our witness, but it is our witness. This morning, I want to do something just a little bit different. When we come to the end and we're just finishing off here. But I wonder this morning, if you're in this place, and it may be, may be difficult for you to do this, but I wonder if you may be struggling this morning with stuff in your life. You may be struggling with something personally. Or you may have something, your health, that is just, just pulling you down at the moment. Or you may have something going on around you that you're just really struggling with. And I just thought, man, this morning, maybe we as a church can get behind you and support you. That if you are just struggling this morning in any way, and you would value people just to pray for you or stand beside you, then can I ask, and I know it's sometimes hard, but can I ask that you just stand where you are? Just where you are in your seats, if you could just stand. If you, if you would say, hey, yeah, actually, I need some help. Or you just need some prayer, or you just feel like, man, I could do with a little bit of cheer this morning. I've, maybe things aren't as great as they could be. If you are here, just please just stand if you're in that boat this morning not waiting for anyone else or, or anything like that, just where you are. And can I ask that if you are near these people that are standing, that maybe we could get beside them as a family and as a church. If you could go and find someone and just stand and begin to just pray for these that are standing. As the worship team just begins to
to go. That this is the power of cheer, not tear. We are in this together. And when we see a brother or sister in need, we as the family will be their biggest supporters.